Hi, this is Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, and you're listening to the LC and Jack Radio Show. Listening to the LC and Jack Radio Show live from New York, and now here are your hosts, LC and Jack. Welcome to the L.C. and Jack Radio Show with your boys, L.C. and the Breadman, holding you down. Give us a shout in the studio. You can reach us at area code 347-843-4738. Up close and personal, Urban Talk Radio. We thank you again for joining us for another edition of the show. And, of course, make sure you hit us up on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the social media let us know uh, your thoughts, what's happening out there, and and uh, what, what you'd like to talk about. So, of course, my partner in crime, the bread man. What's happening there, Brett? What's happening, man? Six inches, seven inches, eight inches, you name it, man. <laughs> of snow in New York, man. Come on, give me a break. Where's that groundhog at? He lied to me. <laughs> well, spring is in the air. I can feel it. Yeah. It's just not in the air right now. Not but right now. But tis the season for baseball, which kind of leads us right into our guest for for today. So uh, why don't we get right into it, Brett? Yes, sir. Our guest this week is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which is dedicated to the rich history of African American baseball. We are so happy. So welcome back to the LC and Jack Radio Show, Bob Kendrick. Hello, Bob. How are you? Hey, man. How y'all doing? Where y'all been? No, <laughs> 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 uh, yes, it's great to be back on the show, guys. Thanks for thanks so much for having me back. We love you, Bob. The, the organization, just everything. That you bring to the table. That's why we want you to have your back. We don't do that usually on a regular basis, but for those that are really close to our heart, and we say that sincerely, we, we'd love to have back on. So thank you for you know taking some time out of your busy schedule, and I know it is busy to uh, jump on and let us know what's happening with the museum and. You know, we really have um, a whole host of, of of different questions we want to get at you tonight. So why don't we get right at it? How's that sound? Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so why don't we, before we get into the museum, Bob, well, we know you're from Can- out there in Kansas City. And give us an idea of, even though I know this is, this is spring training and it's a new season, but... 
tell us about the electricity that, that was out there with Kansas City being in the World Series. What was it like? Oh, man, and I tell you what, electricity is a great word because that was what the atmosphere was like. You know, Kansas City has always been a great baseball town, has proud tradition and history relative to baseball, but it had been such a long time since the Royals had really had a winning season. I mean, you know, we talked about 1985, which was, by, you know, by chance the time, the last time that they won the World Series. They were in the World Series, won it in 85, so it was a significant drought in between mm-hmm. 1985 and, and, and last season, and, and what a magical ride it was, uh, uh, an improbable playoff run that led us to the World Series, and so it was great to see how excited this city was, and it just kind of demonstrates that the magic of baseball and how it brings people together, really unlike any of the other sports. You know, football and basketball are always very popular, and they continue to rise in their popularity, but there's just something special about baseball and when your team is winning in baseball, the way that it channels itself through all parts of a city, through all communities, it just brings everybody together. And we saw that in Kansas City. And for the museum, it was our first experience with a World Series, uh, well, with a playoff and a World Series too, because wow. the museum wasn't around in 1985. So wow. you know, it was really exciting. Uh, the museum was right in the mix of everything that was going on World Series-wise, tons of media, tons of visitors. Uh, you know, I was running like crazy, but, you know, that's the kind of running that we all enjoy. Yeah, it was, I was pulling for Kansas City. Y'all was very close if it wasn't for a Superman effort. Oh, man, we couldn't get that for San Francisco. Friday, unfortunately. But, you know, America fell in love with the Royals. Uh, yes, because they, they were probably considered the underdog, but more so because they were young, and the way they played. You know, and, and guys, they played a Negro League style of play. It's mm-hmm. a much more exciting brand of baseball. So, you know, great pitching, great defense. They were aggressive on the base paths. They moved the runners. They did all those things that were so prevalent in the Negro Leagues. Now, they didn't know they were playing a Negro League style of play, and you have to have the right athletes to do that. So, you know, most Major League teams can't do that because they don't have – that kind of athlete. So the Royals have a young team. They got good athletes on that team, so they're able to put that running game in motion. And they were tough to handle as they made that that epic run through the playoffs. And, and had it not been for Madison Bumgarner, we probably would have won the dog thing. That's what I said. <laughs> Superman <laughs> effort. <laughs> Superman effort, boy. Yeah. yeah. This guy came in and just, just, just put on the cape, and it was it was a wrap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it it, it, was, it was so much fun. This city, I mean, it was a euphoric kind of atmosphere in this city, uh, unlike anything that I had seen in a very, very long time. And, and, and also what made me so happy was the fact that so many people referenced the late Buck O'Neill as the World Series was playing out, and I wonder what old Buck would think. I sure wish old Buck was here to see this. And, you know, so it was great to see that people are still holding on to the memory of the legendary Buck O'Neill and mm-hmm. what he meant to baseball in this city and obviously what he meant to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum as the founder of this great museum. Yes, and like I said, we we had a chance to have you on, and I was thinking about, the museum and Kansas City, just that whole backdrop. And so 
when I had you, when I knew you were coming on today, it was like, we have to get into that because that was, it was like you said, it was just magical. It was everything. It really it was, was. I, I thought they kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of came out of nowhere. I think we all thought that our young royals would be good. I don't know if we had a timetable for when that was going to happen, uh, but they got hot at the right time, and they, you know, they just rode that wave. And again, it's the magic of baseball. That, that's what happens, man. And once you start believing you can win, and, and you get a few breaks that go your way, and next thing you know, uh, they sweep their way through the playoffs and and right on into the World Series and gave the Giants all they could handle before, you know, yes, losing did. that tightly fought contest in Game Seven. So since it is spring training, and of course we know you're a big Royal fan, do you expect them to be back in the big dance? Well, it's going to be tough because I think this year, number one, they they don't get to sneak up on anybody. They won't be any surprise. You know, it's always going to be interesting to see how young guys compete with expectations, under the weight of expectations. Mm-hmm. And, and and trust me, the Central Division, everybody tried to get better. Uh, Chicago is going to be better. Detroit, even though they lost, Scherzer, you know, they still Detroit. They still spend a lot of money, have a lot of money. You know, they're going to be right there in the, in, in the mix. And so it, it's going to be in Cleveland. Uh, you know, I think Terry Francona is one of the best managers in all of baseball. They've mm-hmm. got a great young team over there as well. And so the Central Division is going to be very competitive. Uh, the Royals will, will be playing with that weight of expectation, but I think they grew into themselves last season. I think they believe that they are good, and, and of course now you got to go out on the field and prove it. I do like some of the acquisitions we made. Uh, always tough to lose a pitcher like James Shields, but uh, bringing in Edison uh, over to you know to fill that spot, and uh, I think the pickup of Rios could be really really good if he's healthy. Um, I think we'll have one of the best outfields in baseball. Lorenzo Kane turned into a star during the playoffs of World Series. And I'm so happy for him because he's such a good kid. And uh, if he stays healthy, the sky's the limit. And Alex Gordon, of course, is a perennial gold glover over there in the outfield. So we've got what it takes. You know, again, they stayed relatively injury-free last year. The mm-hmm. bullpen was dynamite. And, and you know, and I think the bullpen will remain dynamite. You know, so you know that formula of getting through about six, seven innings and turning over to that bullpen, and you got a shot to win every night out. So, uh, but I, I'm I'm like everybody else. I'll be curious to see how they handle expectations. Yeah, it's uh, like you said. Every we start from scratch. Everybody is at zero, zero, and. <laughs> And and when you talk about 85, I think about 86 because I'm a Met fan out here in New York. So it's been a long time for us as well. <laughs> Hopefully. I can't wait another 29 years. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have 29. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> in a long time so hopefully this year we kind of like the Kansas City Royals in a way we have loaded up with young talent and you know the Yankees are the Yankees they're always going to be kind of in the hunt oh, oh but, always always yeah but you know the beauty of baseball is man you can each year hope springs eternal for all 30 teams 
Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks they got a shot. And, and uh, you know, you get a few breaks and, and guys start to jail. And, you know, here we are, small market team, not a big budget. But, you know, most of these kids are homegrown kids. They came up through our farm system. You add the right pieces. The chemistry is good. And who knows what can happen. And, and I think that's the case for the for most of the teams in Major League Baseball. I think they all have a, a puncher's shot of trying to get there. And so it, it's going to be fun. I'm excited for the season and, you know, it gets things hopping here in Kansas City around the museum. So, you know, everybody's anxious for baseball season. I'm actually going to go out to spring training for a few days here in a couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to that. I haven't been out there, so it would be nice to get out of the, the cold of Kansas City to into some warm sunshine in Surprise, <laughs> Arizona. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, <laughs> I know what you mean, boy. It's been some winter. It has been some winter. Well, Bob, tell us about the Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, the Life, Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award was created by the, the National Baseball Hall of Fame shortly after Buck O'Neill passed and shortly after that uh, memorable year when he did not get inducted into mm-hmm. the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, that was 2006 when Buck was up for induction, and, and and sadly, he missed by one solitary vote from getting into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And, of course, when he didn't get in, it created really a tidal wave of anger amongst yeah. baseball fans worldwide who expressed their disappointment in Buck being left out when that committee of 12 uh, Negro League historians, educators, and researchers did not deem his 70-plus year career in baseball as being meaningful enough to merit uh, getting into the the National Baseball Hall of Fame. To the Hall of Fame's credit, they came back and created the Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award. The Buck O'Neill was the recipient posthumously of his own award as the first recipient. And then the the Hall of Fame erected a life-size statue of Buck inside the Hall of Fame. So Buck is the only player to have a life-size statue inside the National Baseball Hall of Fame. So I do commend the Hall of Fame for coming back and not doing something that was token in nature in their recognition of Buck. And and honestly, guys, for the museum, it may have been the best thing that could have happened because, you know, we all wanted Buck to have his plaque on the wall. We wanted to celebrate with Buck. We wanted to hug and high-five and, you know, with Buck because he was our guy. Uh, but, you know, once you've got that plaque on the wall, you just one of however many is in there, and then most of the time you're forgotten. And with the creation of this Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award, every three years someone's going to receive that award who, who basically had the same spirit that Buck O'Neill did and right. who have made great contributions to the game of baseball in a way in which Buck O'Neill did. So now you got to talk about Buck. So now Buck lives in perpetuity. And right. when you talk about Buck O'Neill, you have to talk about his museum. So while we were all greatly disappointed that he didn't get in because we wanted right. it, and we may have wanted it more for Buck than Buck actually wanted it for himself. No. Uh, and so that's why we, you know, not only disappointed, but it was almost, it was almost grieving, man, that when he didn't get in because, you know, he had done so much for the game, given so much of himself to the game. And, and he gets to that point in his career, and they turn him away. And so that was great disappointment. But as Buck O'Neill seemed to 
do throughout his life, he seemed to always bring joy out of despair. And that's what he did. I think he did it in the way in which he handled himself with the news of, the, of not getting in. Uh, it was just amazing to witness. I, I was there that day, and I broke the news to him that he didn't get in. And, and how he handled that disappointment was just absolutely amazing. It'd be one of the most, it is one of the most memorable moments in both my personal and professional career to be there that day, to see that strength of character in which he demonstrated, you know, uh, because he was disappointed, but he would not allow his disappointment to squelch his joy for those who had gotten their place in the Hall of Fame. And he wouldn't allow us to be angry or bitter uh, regarding anyone who had anything to do with the decision and, and put aside his own disappointment, went to Cooperstown, man, and spoke on behalf of 17 guys who all did. They didn't have a voice. And, and, and I, I tell people all the time, I think what mm-hmm. Buck O'Neill did that July in Cooperstown in 2006 is one of the most selfless acts in American sports history. A little over two months later himself, he passed away at age 94, a month shy of his 95th birthday. Uh, so it was just one of those memorable moments. And a man who was already a celebrated figure, I think his star rose that much higher, just simply mm-hmm. by the way in which he handled the disappointment. Right, the way he conducted himself. Yeah, yeah. There's wow. definitely a lesson to be learned. Wow, go so many different places here, but <laughs> we we talked when we talked last time. We talked a lot about the, the history of the Negro Leagues, and we uh-huh. talked about uh, Josh Gibson. And yeah. I've seen since since we, we you know we we've had spoken several movies. And we'll, we'll get into one in particular here in, the, in a few minutes. And a lot of what I've researched and found out is the opinions of several of his teammates were that they believe he died early in life because he was heartbroken. He wasn't the first to go into the major leagues from the Negro Leagues. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I, I think by by the time Jackie breaks the color barrier, you know, Gibson was dead. Gibson dies January twentieth, nineteen forty seven. Now when Robinson was signed, Gibson was still alive, but he's sick at that time. And and so I think if there is anything that those players kind of carried with them was why didn't this happen when I was in my prime? Because Josh Gibson dies when he was thirty five years old. Now he's young. Uh, in in, in the lifespan of a human being. But he's old Mm -hmm. by baseball standards. So it's questionable whether or not he would have gotten an opportunity at 35 or not, although Josh could still play. And that was the same for a lot of those older Negro leaguers. You know, for instance, a guy like Ray Dandridge, who is arguably the greatest third baseman that ever played his game, goes to the Minneapolis Millers, and he is named MVP of the Millers, guys, when he was 38 years old. But, of course, there's no room in the major leagues for a 38-year-old black third baseman, so he never had a chance. So he was naturally bitter because he was out playing the young guys, but there was no way the Giants were going to bring him up and take a young white kid's job away at that time. It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it wasn't going to happen. And so with Gibson, you know, it's debatable on whether or not he would have gotten an opportunity. You know, Clark Griffith, who owned the Washington Senators, had looked at both Josh and Buck Leonard 
in the early 40s, well before Branch Rickey made the move to sign Jackie, but mm-hmm. the timing wasn't right. He knew he was going to be ostracized by his peers, and so he backed off of that thought process. You know, even though he was watching Gibson hit balls in Griffith Stadium where no mere mortal had ever hit them before, and, and watching the Homestead Grades fill up his ballpark, uh, you know, far outdrawing his own Washington Senators. But, you know, other guys wanted to do it, but they, they knew that, you know, it wasn't worth what they were going to have to go through to try to sign a black player. Well, when Ricky makes the move for Robinson, the timing was right because of World War II and, and the fact that young black soldiers were dying, fighting a racism in another country that they were being asked to accept at home. At home, right. Yeah, that was that's unbelievable, I tell you, just that the way everything kind of allowed the kind of stars, so to speak, like you said, lined up for Negro League players to have have a chance to get into the major leagues. Things well, kind of you know, lined it's always up. Been, yeah, they, they, and they absolutely did. But, you know, it's always been my contention that Major League Baseball didn't get the superstar Negro League. They didn't get the best player in the Negro League. They got good young stars who turned into great players in the Major League. The superstar Negro Leaguers, man, they were too old. They they right. passed their prime, you know. And so you can only imagine, you know, you can imagine what would have happened if you do get a young Josh Gibson or you get a Buck Leonard or you get a Hilton Smith or a Boo June Wilson, a Bullet Rogan. These guys would have been stars in any league had they been given the opportunity to do so. So if the doors open sooner, the record books would be entirely different. Do you think that, and seeing the way Jackie was picked, like you said, he wasn't the best player, but at that time, Branch Rickey said he needed the right person mentally. Yeah. Do you think that Josh Gibson could could have done that, let's say, if he had the opportunity? From all the information that I got, and again, I lean on your expertise do you think he would have the, men- the mental to go through what Jackie and and some of the other players did early? And, and, and I think that's the question that kind of you know rings at the heart of this, you know, and which is why it was so important that Ricky picked the right guy who may not have necessarily been the best baseball player but he combined all the attributes that would be necessary to succeed in such a volatile environment. You know, you're walking into an arena where nobody wanted you to be there. You know, not your dog, your own teammates. People came expressly to boo you and, and you know, and, and, and yell obscenities and other things to you. And so some of those guys who had been so acclimated to segregation, there's no question they couldn't have handled it. You know, uh, because you couldn't fight back. You couldn't physically fight back. And Jackie understood that even though Jackie was a natural-born fighter. Now, the other side of it is a guy like a Josh Gibson or a Satchel Paige, they were big stars. Everybody knew who they were. Jackie, from a baseball-playing standpoint, was a relative unknown so the question is, would they have gone through as much of the racial stuff uh, being big stars? Everybody knew Satchel Paige. So Satchel could have in all probability been the first and maybe wouldn't have gone through as much of the racial stuff 
uh, that Jackie went through. But Paige too clearly adhered to what the stereotypical depiction of African-American athletes was. He was too charismatic, far too charismatic. Yes, right. Satchel had to tone it completely down when he got to Cleveland. You know, he couldn't be himself. So even though, you know, so we only got a glimpse of what the real Satchel Page was like by the time he gets to Cleveland. And, and, and you think about it, it's too risque for a pitcher to be the first guy. Too great an opportunity to fail. Right. And so that first guy can't fail. And, and, and as I tell our guests, you cannot fail. Jackie couldn't fail in a game that is predicated on failure. You know, you mm-hmm. fail more times than you succeed in this sport. And, and and Jackie could not fail with the weight of an entire race of people on his back. So it took some moxie to be able to do what he did. And I don't know if all those Negro League players could have done what Jackie did. Now, there were some that I think could have. Uh, and I think all those guys that you saw go up early in that process, most of those guys could have fared well. They had the right pedigree. Uh, and the baseball playing ability to succeed, but Jackie was clearly the right guy to be the first. No doubt about it. I tell you, uh, just and and uh, what was your thoughts on seeing the most recent? Oh, it's got a couple of years now. Forty two version. I of Jackie really story. enjoyed the film, uh, and you know we were very fortunate, guys. We had a big red carpet screening of the film here in, in Kansas City. Matter of fact, only second to L.A. So we had Harrison Ford, Chad Bozeman, Andre Holland really? here for our big red carpet. Oh man, I'm jealous, Brad. Mm, oh hey, man, hey. I tell you what, I you know I, I was I was high saluting back in those back in 2012. Rubbing elbows with the stars, and, mm-hmm. and so they rolled out the red carpet, and man, I went up the red carpet. I came back down the red carpet, and so cause you never know when you're gonna get that opportunity again. And we raised a lot of money uh, as great. a result of, and you know, it's not every day that a guy's the magnitude of Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is on everybody's Hollywood A list. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not the every day that he comes to Kansas City, and you know, and I don't know if the the, the rumor is true. I heard he was involved in a plane crash today. It's all, you know, because uh, he's a pilot, and, and and certainly if that is the case, my my thoughts and prayers are with Harrison because he's a great guy. We spent two wonderful days with him uh, with the, the the screening of the film, and then the next day, which was the actual release date of the film, he and Chad Bozeman shot live satellite TV interviews from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and then I got a chance to tour both of those guys through the museum, and then Andre Holland, who's a great guy as well, came by and joined us, and so it was a, it was a major moment in Kansas City event history with that kind of uh, red carpet event, and so it was very exciting. The film itself, I thought they did a great job because they did it very smartly. They looked at two years of Jackie Robinson's life as, as opposed to trying to tell his entire story because you just can't tell his story in two hours. Right. It's too significant. It's too profound. And so they looked at those two years from 1945 to 1947. But truthfully, that is the story. And so for me, I was excited because 1945 encompasses his one season in the Kansas City Monarchs. So people did get at least a glimpse of the mm-hmm. fact that Robinson's career began in the Negro Leagues, which a lot of people did not know. And so really after 47. That's the story because at that point, the door is open. There's no turning back now. And, and so, you know, they took a few liberties with the story because it is a movie. But uh, by large, they stayed very true 
to the Robinson story. I really enjoyed it, and you know, I have probably seen the film probably fifteen, twenty times. So uh, it never, I, but I, I never get tired of watching it. And for those of us, and I know you guys know the story of Jackie Robinson, but when you see it on the big screen. And when you see what this man had to endure, and I can tell you now, they watered down the hatred wow. of the film. You didn't really get to see, because you didn't have to just beat us over the head for us to get, you know, what that got temperament was like. You got it. You got it. You yeah, got so, it. you know, uh, yeah. And when you see it on the big screen, you walk away, I think, with an even greater appreciation for just how courageous Jackie really was. Yes. I tell you, it was, I, like you said, I thought it was crafted well. I thought it kept you, it gave those young individuals, had no idea of what, you know, our parents, our parents, parents you, know, the, your grand, you know, their grandparents went through. And what Jackie Robinson had to go through to allow other players to get an opportunity to show what they could do, despite what the color of their skin was. Yeah, and, you know, and, and and again, he's doing this in an environment where he can't fail. You know, it's not like other High aspects pressure. of the civil rights movement where you got groups of people there with you trying to, you know, invoke change. Jackie walks out there, he's by himself, and, and he's got to figure out how to get this done. And... You know, again, with the weight of 21 million black folks on his back. I mean, it is absolutely amazing what he was able to do with that kind of extreme pressure in, in a sport that is difficult enough to play under the best of circumstances. You know, no less carrying an entire race of people on your back when you take those lines. And you've got to be just as good, if not better, than the other guys who are on your team uh, so that you can prove that you belong. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, you just walk away with that triumphant feeling when you watch that film. And, and I tell our guests all the time, we should never forget Jackie Robinson, nor should we forget the league that gave us Jackie Robinson. That's right. That's right. Yeah, got to know your history. Are you doomed to repeat it? That's that's why it's so instrumental that they're making these films. This film, sports-related, uh, Selma, all of these Films are so important for our youth and and for all people to understand what this great country, you know, what was the process that that uh, we went through to be where we are today to make ourselves a better, diverse country. You know, country we're trying to accept all people. So it's uh, it's powerful. Movies, radio, film. It's powerful stuff. I tell you that. Well, and, and and what you hope is that the box office success of those films will give more opportunities for more of our stories to be told. Because I think the biggest fear in Hollywood is that these films won't do well at the box office. And, and Forty Two did extraordinarily well, not only here in the country but also internationally. Um, and so that gives us hope that more of these stories can be told because there is interest in these stories. And so, you know, we're excited about it. I, you know, every now and then I, I hear, you know, something surface about a new Negro Leagues project, and I hope these things come to fruition because there are so many wonderful stories 
to be told just looking at the Negro Leagues as a muse in its own right. So, you know, uh, I hope that bodes well for more more cinematic efforts relative to, to Negro Leagues history and some of those great characters who were involved in the Negro Leagues. And as the late Buck O'Neill would say, man, so you, don't, you don't have to fictionalize the story of the Negro League to make it entertaining. It was entertaining in his own right. Let's tell the real story. <laughs> yeah. If you just join us, you're listening to Bob Kendrick, who's the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum out in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, I tell you, there's so many things that just popped in my head uh, to to kind of get at you. I guess one of them, and I hate to put you on the spot, but you know, we we, we kind of do it. Yeah. If they had, they, <laughs> they, they, they 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 if they they meaning Hollywood came to you to the museum and yourself, the board, and said, who should we, who should be the next one that we build a movie around? Uh-huh. I kind of, I think I already know the answer, but <laughs> who, who, who would, would there be, uh, let's put it this way, would there be two or three individuals that you would throw out? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just, absolutely. I mean, you know, we talked about Josh Gibson, who I, I'm still yeah. surprised that his story has not been told. And, mm. and obviously Satchel. I mean, Satchel's yes. exploits and, and, and the charismatic nature and, you know, not really knowing how old he was and how effective he was at a, an ungodly age for a pitcher. But then there are, are lesser-known guys like Rube Foster, who started the Negro Leagues, who was the most, I think, one of the most brilliant minds in baseball history who dies in an insane asylum. So it has all, you know, his story has everything that you would want in a Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and Rube was kind of, you know, he was the boss. As young kids would say, you know, he was boss. There ain't no question about it. You know, Rube <laughs> Foster, when he formed the Negro Leagues in 1920, had either booking rights or ownership of four of the original eight teams. He essentially divested ownership of three, kept the Chicago American Giants, but then in a deal with the Negro Leagues, guys was paid 15% of the annual gate. Well, in 1920 alone, over 400,000 fans attended Negro League games. Rube Foster was a very rich man. Rube Foster was perhaps the most powerful man in all of professional sports. Nobody had a deal like that. And, huh. and Rube Foster eventually died in an insane asylum uh, after being exposed to a gas leak in a hotel in Indianapolis um, in 1925. And the question is, was that gas leak accidental? There are a lot of people who think there were some folks trying to take Oh, Rube out. So there's no question. His his life story uh, would make for a great Hollywood film. The Buck O'Neill oh. story is just sitting there waiting to be told. That's um, right. I knew you were going to yeah, say that absolutely. one. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. we got to push and, hard and so to get this, these stories. I well, love. I, I wonder why a Spike Lee, which he's done a lot, not, not to pick on Spike, why he hasn't uh, kind of picked up the ball. On one of these, well, I tell you, man, it just costs so much money. You know, just to be yeah. able to find the right financing for these films. Now, I don't know if you guys were aware that Penny Marshall is set to go in production if they haven't already started on the Effa Manley story. Um, oh, okay. And Effa Manley, of course, would you know for you guys that are in that New York area, 
Effa and her husband, Abe, owned the Newark Eagles. And, and Mrs. Manley ran the day-to-day operations of the baseball team. She was a very controversial figure. Uh, he made even more so because there was question on whether or not she was black or if she was white. Uh, some say that she was from a biracial relationship. Others say that she was the byproduct of an affair with a white man and that she was actually white. Uh, nevertheless, she defied her whiteness, if that was the case, to assimilate to a total black life. And, you know, at a time when being black, it, it wasn't exactly the the end thing. You know, you could if you could have gotten away with being white, then you would go ahead and do that because your life was going to be a whole lot easier. She chose to identify with a, with a black a black cause, a black community, and uh, she becomes the first woman to be nominated and inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. So Penny Marshall, uh, I believe, is set to start production on that film. I'm not sure what the timeline is for the subsequent release of it. But, you know, at least there's another story that's from the Negro Leagues that's going to be told uh, from a female's point of view. That's great news, Bob. It sounds like a new uh, a guest for us to circle with to get on the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah, definitely. Definitely somebody we want to talk to, Brad, and, and get on the show. Yes, sir. I tell you, um, thanks for that uh, tidbit there, Bob. Bob, since we talked a little bit about uh, Rube Foster and about his ownership, do you think, and hopefully <laughs> soon, that we'll have a uh, African American own uh, one of these major league teams? I, you know, I hope so. You know, I know he, Magic he, is uh, he's in the you know I know he's, he's, part, he's uh, part, he, yeah he's part owner. My new uh, though, out there with the Dodgers. <laughs> Yeah. My new Which still means you had to put up a lot of money. You know, yeah, I baseball know. Teams, but you don't just buy baseball teams. But, you know, that's what I think about when I think about what Root Foster's mindset was when he created the Negro Leagues. He mm-hmm. thought he would create a league that was so dynamic that it would force Major League Baseball's hand to expand. So if you do that under Foster's model, you would have had complete integration from the get-go, whenever this would have occurred. You know, as it played out, baseball focused on the field. So you get Jackie in 47. Well, you don't get your first black coach in the major leagues until 1962 with Buck O'Neill. You don't get your first black manager until 1975 with Frank Robinson. And then your first GM years after that. But on the Rube Foster's model, you would have had every aspect that was being fulfilled in black baseball being transferred over to the major leagues. So you would have had complete integration of the game. And, and so ownership is one of those areas that, you know, we just haven't haven't seen in baseball. And like I said, it ain't cheap to own a major league baseball team. But, you know, certainly we hope that at some point in time that we will see African-American ownership in the sport and we will continue to see African-Americans employed in the sport in, in the hierarchy uh, of the game, and, and don't get me wrong, baseball is perhaps the most diverse sport of them all. You know, they just is represented with ethnicities from around the globe, and so. But we want to make sure that the African American experience remains a very prevalent part of the baseball experience in this country. No doubt about it. To circle back, uh, Bob, and then we'll we'll get into the museum. Uh, I promise. It's just, you got me. 
I tell you, every time uh, we get <laughs> you, you know, I learn a lot. I'm sure the listeners are, and I tell you, we we could go for a long time just with the knowledge and the information that you're sharing us. But to, to circle back to Jackie, um, April 15th is uh, Jackie Robinson's uh, day that mm-hmm. Major League Baseball uh, they retired his number and. It was amazing how the last number that was out there for the longest, I didn't think he was going to retire, was Mariano Rivera on the yeah, Yankees. Buddy. He was the last one to be able to, he was grandfathered to keep that number. But tell, talk a little bit about that and, and um, you know, what the museum uh, kind of does around that time. Well, you know, I think for the museum, and the day, the, the day obviously is historic uh, for baseball as well as for this country, and, and and of course we celebrate Jackie and those who played before Jackie 365 days a year. Uh, but you know, each year we pause to remember Jackie Robinson as well, and it's typically through programs, uh, really getting school-age groups into the museum to share his story uh, and looking constantly at ways in which we can transfer that piece of history in a fashion that makes it relevant to what's happening in the lives of young people today. And, and But, you know, I think for us to tout what Robinson's incredible role in advancing our society and the social advancement of our society is something that we remain true to, and that's very important. And we look at it twofold. We not only focus on April 15th when he played, obviously, his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers, but we look at May the 6th when he played his first professional baseball game with the Kansas City Monarchs. You know, because, again, it's, it's, it's one of those things that we're so proud of that one of America's greatest heroes, some will say its greatest hero, came out of the Negro League. And that right. it was Kansas City that gave America arguably its greatest hero. And so before he was number 42, he wore number five with the Kansas City Monarchs. And, and I think for us, that's something that we want to try and, and make sure that is not missed in the equation. Because most people just remember Jackie for when he walked on the field as a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And I think they just think he, you know, just fell out of nowhere and started playing baseball. But he really learned to play in the Negro League. You know, these guys taught him that style of play that he took over with him to Major League Baseball. And Jackie was a tremendous athlete, so it didn't take him very long to catch on. Uh, He was a sensational athlete, one of the greatest athletes in American sports history. Uh, even though there may have been better baseball players in the Negro Leagues than Jackie at that time, uh, Jackie had everything that he needed in order to excel in whatever sport he might have participated because, honestly, he was a much better basketball, football, and track man than he was baseball player, which tells you how talented Jackie was. I mean, Jackie Robinson might have been the best basketball player in the country in the early 40s. You know, that's how incredible an athlete he was. Um, You know, so it is important for us that we reflect on Jackie Robinson. And and when you look at it from a Negro League standpoint, Jackie Robinson represents the beginning. But Jackie Robinson also represents the end because it was 
the first signal that the Negro Leagues were going to go out of business. Because, you know, once that door opened and other guys started moving into the major leagues, well, it was only natural that the Negro Leagues were eventually going to fold and cease the operations. And that's exactly what happened. But, you know, at that point, you didn't need two separate leagues in this country. And so uh, the Negro Leagues and the African-American community, in some, to some extent, paid a dear cost for losing the Negro Leagues, though. Can you let me know? I definitely... Uh agree with that it's um it's a shame that something that we couldn't somehow keep the negro leagues but like you said in a way it, it kind of served its purpose for that time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. allowed you know it really developed these young men and some of them were, were older but they they paved the way for players nowadays you know the, you know the the few that we have, <laughs> but <laughs> the few that we African Americans. But but I know yeah. there was some Spanish that played in the, in the Negro oh, Leagues. Oh, there a lot well. lot of uh, Hispanic players played in the Negro Leagues. You know, which obviously makes me reflect on the the passing of the late great Manny Minoso. Mm-hmm. who was a star there with the New York Cubans in the Negro Leagues before going on to the major leagues and having a groundbreaking major league career himself. And and then, of course, just a few weeks ago, we lost Ernie Banks, whose epic yeah. career began in Kansas City as well with the great Kansas City Monarchs. Uh, Buck O'Neill signed Ernie Banks to the Monarchs and then helped send him on to the Chicago Cubs where Buck would have himself a few years later joined Ernie and and really became a father figure for Ernie. And so, you know, the city of Chicago has lost two major stars within a little more than a month's time in Ernie Banks over with the Cubs on the north side and the great Minnie Minoso with the White Sox on the south side. And so, you know, it also lets people know how fragile this history is, the people who were a part of this history, we're losing them at an alarming rate, and in the not-so-distant future, there won't be any Negro League players left to attest to what this league was all about and what it meant, which I think makes it that much more significant, the work that we do in Kansas City, to document and to substantiate and to make sure that their legacies play on long after these men are gone. Right. I definitely agree. And, but I, you know, I, you're doing an outstanding job, and well, I tell you, uh, if if it's possible in the future, and we, we have to make it, like you said, in the near future, love to get one of these individual Negro League players on the show, even if it's on for like five, ten minutes. Um, I, I saw a special. I don't know if it's on uh, uh, Brian Gumble HBO Sports, uh-huh. where there was a young. Um, young white kid Yes And I say that so people understand And he took He started working with some of the Negro League players To find out about their You know Get proof of their stats And a lot of stuff I don't know if you're aware of this I can't think of the kid's name Yeah, His, his name is uh, Cam Perron uh, I think I'm pronouncing that last name Cam Perron or Perron and, and I know Cam He's been here uh, a couple of occasions, I believe Cam now is at Tulane University 
getting close to finishing his degree, and he did. He helped a lot of Negro leaguers get pension from Major League Baseball because he was able to help them validate their years of service. Yes, at, that's at one what point, Major League Baseball, uh-huh, at one point, Major League Baseball started providing pensions for Negro League players if they could validate that they had played for, I think, at least three years in the Negro Leagues. And so Cam helped guys dig through and find records so that they could get that pension from Major League Baseball. And in the process, he fell in love with Negro League's research and history and befriended so many of those players who are still with us. And so, you know, his contributions are are very significant because most of these men didn't have a lot after they were done playing baseball and after they were done working. Uh, So they didn't have a lot. So, you know, for them to get that pension meant the world to them. And, And so we can all appreciate the effort that this young man who started doing mm-hmm. this as a kid just right into these guys initially and then really became enthralled with Negro League's history and, and and the research of Negro League's history. And as it turns out, it really did impact the lives of a lot of those men. And so, you know, we tip our hat to Cam uh, for doing that. And, you know, and, and he's become, again, one of those who – uh, has fallen in love with this subject matter, but what's not to love about this subject matter? You know, that's the thing. And, that's you know, right. When you come here, you learn about this history. What's not to love about it? Mm-hmm. it? It hits you in that manner. Definitely, yeah. Like I said, I I, I love that that piece. I'm glad that it was done, and I'm glad that uh, you had a chance to, um, you know, uh, speak to this individual and and, and meet him. And uh, so it's. I tell you, you, you just—it puts a smile on my face to to see these stories. Again, there's stuff throughout the world that's being done uh, in a, in, a, in a kind manner, but it's just great once in a while when you see these because you hear about all the negative. So when you see a story like that, it just kind of blew me away. So yeah, no, keep, it's like a great said, story. Yeah, yeah. So keep you know, this is a, a young white kid from Boston. You know, right. who fell in love with this story and started reaching out to these old guys and and their friends. You know, this is and and not only did he befriend and they become friends, but he was able to to really help enhance the quality of life. You know, in their latter years, and so yeah, it's a great story. It is no doubt about it. And I I got one more. Uh, before I, we we go, we, we focus on a museum, and um, and I, I got to ask you this one, and I, I tell you, we got to have you on again because forget it, yeah. I could go hours with talking with you about the history, <laughs> but um, the I, something that you know, watching, good circling back to Jackie again, and uh, so again, something else that I had had a chance to read, and I wanted to get your take on it. You always see Jackie, and especially in '42. They they spotlighted and the reporter Wendell Smith. Wendell Smith, yes. Yeah. What was your take? How influential was he? And you know, I read some some you know articles that hey, he was never given his true, really true credit because yeah, he, he was he was really the guy that was kind of was was big in making this whole thing happen. Oh, there's no question. There's no question. I was delighted to see that he had a central role in that film because it, the film was really told through the voice of Andre Holland, who plays Wendell Smith and plays him wonderfully in the film. And 
So, you know, that was really, really exciting for me because Wendell Smith was truly a confidant to both Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson. And and so, you know, Wendell Smith and, and, and even Sam Lacey, to that extent, played great roles in this whole experiment. And it was really interesting that the white press never saw this coming. They were shocked when this move happens with Robinson. The black press had been pushing for this for years. And so, you know, Wendell Smith had a very close role with Branch Rickey and and talked to Rickey all the time and was, you know, in his ear about, you know, opening up the door. Uh, as many of these men were, you know, pushing for this opportunity for black players to play in the major leagues. And so it, it I think it added a, a great element to the film to have it told through the voice of Wendell Smith, who was one of the great black writers of any era. And, uh, you know, Wendell Smith is featured here at the museum along with Sam Lacey and some of the other great black writers from those great black papers who were the primary voice of the Negro Leagues for so many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm glad. I'm glad we kind of touched on that. I had to kind of get that. You know, so you know, seeing that in the movie, and like you said, he was he was a big part of the movie. Um, and Harrison Ford, I tell you, from the picture I saw Branch Rickey, and then the way they had him done up, <laughs> boy, it was Branch Rickey. <laughs> Harrison Ford became Branch Rickey. He did you know, the, the one thing move. that disappoints me is that he did not get a an Academy Award nomination. I thought he at least should have been nominated uh, in a supporting role for his work as Branch Rickey. And, oh, and you know, it's rare that the big star is actually the supporting actor. You know, Chad Bozeman, who at that time was a relative unknown, yes. was, was the lead actor in the film. And Harrison Ford was a much bigger star, and Chad did a wonderful job, and he goes on to do a wonderful job as James Brown in the in the James Brown biopic. He's a great talent, a great young man, and you know, like I said, it was so cool to hang out with those guys for a couple of days, and uh, and, and so you know, it's 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 neat to be following their careers now, and I hope they continue to flourish in, in this industry. Definitely. So let's 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 hop into the museum before we let you go. Of course, we got to do that. That's that, that's the reason why we're, we're here. Obviously, about the history, but the museum, which is so important, as you said, for all those people coming through and and learning about it, or or just to to to, to feel like they were there, they get that experience. Tell tell the listeners. Uh, about some of the programs that you have, uh, memberships, all that good stuff. Uh, let's get right at them, how we can support the museum. Well, well, you know, the great thing is that the museum is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. and well, so happy 25th. Thank you, man. We're in the midst of a year-long 25th anniversary celebration, and it's been an amazing 25 years for a little museum that no one, when we got started, gave any chance of this place succeeding. And in an area that was once a very prominent African-American community, but like a lot of urban areas, it had died. And so we anchored here at historic 18th and Vine in Kansas City. 18th and Vine, guys, in his heyday, as recognized cross 
street section as there was anywhere in the world uh, because you had that intrinsic mixture of jazz and baseball radiating from this one street corner. So anybody who was anybody knew about Historic 18th and Vine, and we built the museum here, started in a little one-room office uh, across the street from where we currently operate, and guys like the late, great Buck O'Neill and other local Negro leaguers took turns paying the rent to keep the little office open and our hopes of building what we now have, this great museum that rightfully pays tribute to one of the great chapters in baseball history. What really surprises most people is one of the greatest chapters in American history. And so it's been an amazing journey for our museum. 25 years later, still standing strong, recognized as America's national Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. But you're right. We need your support. You know, and what greater time for, for folks to look at supporting this museum because we cannot allow this story to die. And, and what stood at risk, had it not been for the Negro Leagues Museum, this story was going to die when that last Negro Leaguer left the face of this earth. Man, we've lost five Negro League players in the last six weeks. You know, wow. and, and so we're losing them at an alarming rate. And, and so we don't want their story to die, and their story deserves to stand the test of time. That's the work that we're doing here in Kansas City. So we encourage people. It doesn't matter whether you ever make your way to Kansas City to see this museum or not. We hope that you will. We hope your travels will bring you to Kansas City so that you can experience this. But it's so important that we support these kinds of cultural institutions. You know, if it's not for museums like the Negro Leagues, there are so many urban kids who will never get a chance to go into a museum experience and see people who look like them. And, and not only see people who look like them, but see people who were proud and successful. And, and hopefully that encourages them to dream about what they can be and what mm -hmm. they have the potential to do. So cultural institutions, I think, are more important now than at any time before because we absolutely need that. And, and I think that's what the Negro Leagues represents. It, re it represents a triumphant chapter that helped lead our country in ways down a path to, to social advancement in which no one ever thought it would ever happen. And so we hope people will join us in helping celebrate this 25th anniversary. You can become a member of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum for as little as $25. It is tax deductible. And, um, you know, so we, we again, it's, a, it's one of those things where we, we hope that the milestone 25th anniversary will give us an opportunity to really tell our story on a national scope. And in doing so, we hope that more folks will join this effort to make sure that we save this piece of history from the ruins of time. Where do they go, um, Bob, and, and to uh, make their donations? Can, you can go online to www.nlbm.com, and there's information about memberships and other exciting ways in which you can support the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Well, I tell you, that's great. You know, if it was up to me, I'd keep you for another two hours. But uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. We, we, we can't do that, but we definitely would love to have you back on the show. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, and, and I know you work with MLB, is there any way possible, and, it's, and this is a challenge, but to kind of get the museum mobile, 
to a certain extent. Yeah, no, there, 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 there absolutely is. I mean, you know, we actually now, guys, have six national traveling exhibitions. The newest one we just debuted last summer here in Kansas City called Negro Leagues Baseball, the Spanish spelling of the word baseball. So, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned that a little bit earlier about Latinos playing in the Negro Leagues. Well, yeah. we tell the story of that very close-knit relationship shared between the Negro Leagues and Spanish-speaking countries from around the globe. You know, these players, players from the Negro Leagues were oftentimes the first Americans to go to many Spanish-speaking countries. And when they went to those countries, they were treated like heroes. They stayed in the finest hotels. They ate in the finest restaurants that those countries had to offer. Man would come back home and be treated like second-class citizens. So as a result, a lot of Negro League players uh would call those countries home because they were treated so well. They had the same liberties that this country was you know, was built on, they had them over there, but they didn't have them here. And then when that Spanish-speaking athlete came to this country, they couldn't play in the major leagues either, so they found sanctuary playing in the Negro Leagues. So our exhibit, Negro Leagues Baseball, touts that cultural bond, you know, a brotherhood created through baseball. And that's just one of six national traveling exhibitions that we have. We still have design to, to build at least three more traveling exhibitions in the next five years and so you know that's not far-fetched that we can get on the road and take this story on the road so you know if there are interested venues who would be you know open to hosting a negro leagues exhibit you know they can go online to learn more about those exhibitions uh, as well and so you know a lot of great things happening uh, i forgot to mention april 25th the hall of games second annual hall of games and, man, we are welcoming into the Hall of Game, the Negro League Baseball Museum's Hall of Game, the class of 2015, Ozzie Smith, Ricky Henderson, Ooh. Ferguson Jenkins, and Ooh. the great Louis Tion. And, and, and the Hall of Game honors former major leaguers who we believe played the game the way they played it in the Negro Leagues. So, you know, you played it with passion. You played mm-hmm. it with determination. You obviously played it with a high level of skill, but you also played it with a little swag. You had to have some play <laughs> if you were playing in the Negro League. Man. You couldn't do it. If you didn't have it, you couldn't play in the Negro League. Mm-hmm. And so last year we debuted this event, and this is our second annual on April 25th in Kansas City, uh, and all four of those legendary baseball players will be here to be enshrined into our Hall of Game. Nice. Yeah, I tell you, some excellent choices. Ricky Henderson, boy, I tell you. That's he, swag you, right you, oh, that, 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 oh, that's that's swag. That's swag personified. <laughs> you know, he, he absolutely could have. Ricky absolutely could have played in the Negro Leagues, and so could have Ozzy. Um, yes, Ozzy the Wizard. You know, would would have mm-hmm. been a star in the Negro Leagues, and the way he played the game. Louis Tion who is one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball history. Louis Tion should absolutely be in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, Louis yeah. Tion's father played in the Negro Leagues, played for oh, the wow. New York Cubans. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Mm-hmm. I tell you, man, you're just dropping the knowledge on us. He's dropping H-bombs. He's dropping H-bombs. <laughs> I'm over here. My brain is flying, man. I need to turn it over because the eggs are cooking. <laughs> Well, Bob, we appreciate you coming on and, you know, spending 
spending uh, just a nice chunk of time with us. We appreciate it. Uh, just, I tell you, every day is a learning experience. So it's great to pick up some, you know, when you think you have a good handle of some history and then you learn some more, it's really great. And like you said, it's um, knowledge is power. So uh, we, we're glad, yeah, yeah, we're glad that yourself and the rest of the team there is doing a outstanding job on preserving you know African American you know history Negro League history so keep doing the great work we'll do what we can and if you're out here and in, in, the, in the big NYC give us a ring let us know uh, what you got going on out this way maybe we can catch up with you in person I'm sorry when I was out there I didn't get a chance to pop in at the museum but hopefully one of these days we'll be able to do that Probably more so my partner. He's all over the country, all over the world on a regular basis. I can't keep up with him. Well, yeah, you guys got to come out and, and see us. Uh, it is, I think it's a life-changing experience when you come and visit this museum. And so, you know, I do hope that you make your way back to Kansas City. And when you do, you give me the uh, honor of walking you guys through this museum. And so we look forward to seeing you in Kansas City. We look forward to seeing those who are listening to our voices, uh, hopefully make their travels and make their way out to Kansas City to experience the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And, and, I, and I can't thank you guys enough for being a part of helping increase the awareness of what this museum is about and what this history represents because we, we do need that. And, and so, um, again, that's what helps keep history alive. That's right. And uh, it's our pleasure and our duty as uh, media to, to to you know educate education and uh, there was a uh, a rapper we talk about hip hop I should say forget rapper KRS One talk about education so this is part of what we do to give back to the audience of all ages out there is educate them and uh, we uh, were able to do that today with uh, with your help and support so thank you again so much. And we look forward to having you on again soon. But, uh, again, happy 25th anniversary. Uh, tell everyone there at the museum, uh, we, we'll do anything that we need to uh, continue your, you know, supporting the museum. Just let us know. Well, man, I, again, we appreciate it. And thanks always for the opportunity. Thanks again, Bob. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys. Well, Brad, I tell you, well, another great, great guest, another well, great I'll, show, another I'll great notes, show. I was taking notes when the interview was going on. I'm like, hey, <laughs> you I always gotta, can I learn gotta... something. I tell you, yes, sir. I tell you. But uh, before we uh, wrap the show, I know you got uh, a couple shout-outs and something you wanted to drop before we uh, end the show. What do you got there, Brad? Yeah, I just wanted to um, thank. My people uh, out in California, because you know I went out to the Accent uh, Expo this weekend in LA with my man uh, Matthew Smith, aka Matlock, and I finally got to meet, meet uh, one of our past guests, Mr. Eric Feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was a great, great meeting of the minds, and I'm looking forward to doing things with him, and hopefully uh, Mr. Bob Kendrick too, because uh, I tell you, the way he spoke today on our show. He needs to be at this expo next year with the uh, Negro Hall of Fame uh, logo and his wonderful 
uh, stories, man, because that will really educate the people who have no idea of what's going on with the Negro League Museum. And uh, that'll be on the national uh, level also, because uh, I've met uh, some wonderful people, and, and I'm pretty sure this will really bring light to the uh, Negro League Museum, for sure. And those no are my no doubt about it, Brett. Yeah, keep doing your thing. And uh, we'll continue to bring you great radio. Again, hit us up. LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or even email, lcandjack at gmail.com. So until next week, we thank you again for tuning in. Stay safe, stay sound. God bless. All right, Brad. Oh, Bob dropped off. Let me see if I can get him back on the line. Wow, we went long, man. I didn't realize. (laughs) So busy talking. It's a great interview. He gave a lot of information. Yeah, he dropped it. He probably had to run. Hi, you've reached Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro League Baseball Museum. I'm unavailable to take your call at this moment, but if you leave your name, number, and a detailed message, I'll return your call as soon as possible. Thanks for calling, and have a great day. Please leave a message at the tone. When finished, you may hang up or press pound for additional options. Hey, Bob, I know you probably had to to run. Again, appreciate you uh, staying on so long uh, for the show. So uh, I'll hit you up on email. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, he probably had to run. But, um, yeah, I'm going to ask him. We're going to see if we can get Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall from the uh, Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was at Penny Gary Marshall. Marshall. Huh? Well, Gary Marshall was producing all those. Yeah, so, like, yeah so we're going to. Wow, she's 71 now. Wow. Yeah, she's big time. She's, man, she's been around for a long time. Yeah, wow. Right. Yeah. So we're going to see. I'm going to see if we can get her. Yeah. Let me see if he's got a contact number. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been trying. love to get, if he hook us up with Chad Boswell. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I can up. get, what's the name? Probably, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, That's the man. Kelsey Scott. You know, she she was. You know, uh, that was Kim's uh, uh, personnel, you know, in the movie 12 Years a Slave, Kelsey Scott. She worked with him in one of the movies, so I can see what's going on with that. You know? Yeah, hit, her, hit, hit them up. I'll, I'll hit up Bob and see if he's uh, yeah. he can give us any contact information on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love, to, love to get him on the show to talk about. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he's the next guy blowing up, man. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, he's blowing up quick. The James Brown movie and I didn't see the James Brown one. You saw it? I didn't see it. No, no, no. I saw the, the Jackie. It was just unbelievable. You know, just just unbelievable. But yeah, man, good 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 job. And uh, we'll see if we can get uh, who I had. Oh, you know, I got to circle back with this other dude. Um, yeah, we'll see if we can get 
I'm going to reach Penny Marshall. Let me see if he can hook us up with her. Since she's since she's doing the movie while they're starting to film it now. I don't see anything on here about it yet, but I guess because it's still too early. But, um, all right, Brad, man, I, I know you got to probably run. Mm-hmm. You realize, man, we ran. I was like, whoa. Ran, it was, yo, it was just, <laughs> mm-hmm. he's just dropping the knowledge, man. Yeah, man, big time. The Mexico, guy, I, I wish he would come to the expo because uh, uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, um, one of the expos, you know, they had guest speakers. And I never knew the story behind the Make-A-Wish uh, Foundation. And this mm-hmm. guy who founded it, man, when he told that story, it was incredible. So Bounce I know this, that story and, and Bob's stories were really, like, how people uh, moved. You know, and most of the speakers had good stories about how they started and this, that, and the other, you know, with business or whatever they're doing. But, and uh, it was just like, man, I never heard a story like that before. And it's still going on to this day, you know. The Make-A-Wish Foundation is, is, is alive and well. Oh, all yeah. Because, all because of one guy, man. You know, he almost lost his life. And, uh, and then... He uh, seen someone else lose their life at the same time, you know, and it was just remarkable how that came about. Him almost losing his life, and someone did lose his life, and it was just amazing how the story went together to make this uh, entity that is today. Yeah, there's a lot of good stories out there. Well, a lot of good stories out there to be told. So yeah, yeah. Just listen to Bob, man. That was just something. Yeah, I'd love to be out there too, man. If they're doing that, because they're gonna have Ricky Hennis and all those cats. Oh yeah. man! Hey, let's get it again. Let's get it again. You know me, I'm ready, baby. <laughs> oh, I know you. I don't know. Oh, I will see. Oh, the 25th, April. Yeah, I gotta see. Yeah, that's a long flight too, man. When I was out the last time, but the food is off the charts. Yeah, where, where is it in Kansas City? Is it right? It's right. Yeah, it's right in Kansas, right in the heart, downtown. Yeah, it's right downtown. Yeah. I'll look that up right now. So. Yeah, that's probably, I'm guessing that's during the week. Yeah. That's my guess. It's during the week. Yeah. That's the first problem. Tuesday or It's probably a Tuesday or Thursday or. It's a Thursday. I'm there. Sure. I'm off on Thursdays. Thursday, Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. I'm good. Yeah, I don't have a... Let's see my calendar here. Let me see. What did I say, 25th? Mm-hmm. What is it? He said the 25th? Yeah. Uh, Saturday. Oh, that's a good. Yeah, it's actually a Saturday. Yeah, let me see. Let me see. Uh, check out what the flights are, Brad. Let me oh, get okay. out there and uh, we do a we do a live show out there. Mm-hmm. Right there from the museum. God be hot. Mm-hmm. That would be hot, man. 
and do interviews with these guys. Oh yeah. I'll right. be off the hook, man. Right. Off that's the hook. The, uh, that's what we did at the uh, expo. My man had the camera, we had the red carpet and the backdrop. It was awesome. He's, he's editing it up now, so I'll send you a copy. Yeah, uh, yeah, send it to me. Yeah, I think I sent you what's his name. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, 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 performance. Oh, uh, yeah, I told you she's hot. Yo, yeah, oh man, so awesome, man. She's yo, she's awesome. I'm gonna try to get the manager to have her come to Hawaii because they all of them want to come too. They already told me. They say, yo, we want to come. I said, y'all come and, and I'll give you a spot on the stage, man. Just drop her single and then that way, uh, people, you know, she could have a donation thing. Uh, to help her with the Olympics, you know, so mm-hmm. real, you know, so yeah, cause, let's get her on. Yeah, because I could tell, I told her, I told the manager, he's cool, he's a film. Matter of fact, I got to send you his um, what put him on. He did a um, I was just on his page and he did some kind of uh, monologue in a movie, and that's mm-hmm. he came to fame just on that monologue. I, I'll send it to you because I was just on his page. Not too long ago. It was really nice, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's Diary get of a Black Man or something like that. Yeah, he was in there. He did a monologue and that, that got it for him, you know, our manager. Yeah. yeah let's make it happen. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. So. I connected with a lot of big wigs when he was out there. Big time, man. Like, yeah, let's make it happen. Yeah. All right, yeah, Brad, man. I'm going to run. But, uh, All right, then. Yeah. Cool. Good job, man. Let's uh, let's keep it rolling. Yep. Later.